Please turn to James chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to uh, introduce you to a few of our members here at uh, Grace Bible Church. We, um, we have some uh, men and their wives who serve uh, here at Grace Bible Church as deacons. And if you know the history of deacons, Acts chapter 6, the church was born. It exploded over the course of a couple of weeks. And the spiritual needs multiplied, but also the physical needs multiplied. And so the apostles said, you know, we can't meet uh, all of these needs on our own, we need others who will come alongside and, and serve with us. So they selected uh, seven men who were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, men of good reputation, good character, who's, uh, who are really managing their own households well, and uh, asked them to come alongside and, and serve and meet some of the, the physical needs that were emerging in the church. And so we have uh, men and their families who also serve in these roles. If I can get our deacons to come on up. And uh, Brad Evans is going to introduce our deacons. I just wanted us to have a moment this morning that we recognize these folks and uh, give honor to whom honor is due. Thanks, Brian. Wow, it is a privilege to um, work with these oh. men. Am I, am I on? There you are. Right. Yep. Okay, we good? Yeah. It's a privilege to uh, serve alongside uh, these, these guys here that uh, God has raised up. And the office of the deacon is um, really, they, they serve at the elders' pleasure, uh, elders casting vision, giving oversight. And these men really didn't want to be up here today because they faithfully serve God uh, behind the scenes. They're not looking for accolades here and so it, it took quite a bit to get them here we worked hard but uh, here they are and we would just like for you as a congregation to know uh, who these men are and and for example every week at least uh, three of them are on a team rotating they're here before you get here setting out cones they're ushering they're counting money they're doing all these things behind the scenes and we just want to express our gratitude to you and I'd really like to introduce you uh, to these uh, men and their families, and so afterwards, as you see them, you can also express appreciation. Uh, Ted, Ted Hamilton and his wife, Teddy, he's our lead deacon here, and uh, to kind of get a sense of how Ted leads, he's a Marine, okay, and he's a get-her-done guy, and so when we need something done, we call on Ted, and uh, Ted, thank you for leading our team here. He also oversees the team leads at our other campuses. So, Ted, um, thank you. Thank you for your service and uh, appreciate all you do. Brandon Alexander, um, he and Caitlin, uh, Caitlin wouldn't able to be here this service, but uh, he has served for two and a half years. They've done all kinds of things, the marriage ministry, but specifically they pour into um, international students here, evangelism, discipleship, and so Brandon, thank you for uh, your role. Uh, Steve Bradley, Steve, there he is. His wife, Amy, is out of town. He's also served for two and a half years. Uh, marriage ministry, community groups, connect team. And so, Steve, thank you for all that you do. Uh, Rich Cox, Rich, um, uh, I, oh, there you are. Um, what? I, I was about to get there. Rich and Lisa. <laughs> I, what I was about to say is I remember when y'all came here as newlyweds and you helped us launch the new, Young Married Newlyweds uh, group that uh, has impacted a lot of people. And they've taught financial peace and 
um, served in care ministry and done many, many things here. have a couple of deacons who are not here. Jeff Erdner, he kind of organizes the um, deacon uh, overall here uh, in terms of who's here on Sunday mornings and our safety team. Um, and so he and um, his wife, Melanie, uh, have been serving for four years. Terry Helser, he's out of town, but he and Dean, um, he has served for, we were trying to remember, over 30 years. So long they couldn't remember exactly, but uh, that's a good while, three decades of service. Uh, we have a new deacon, Walt Holt, his wife Kelly, just came on board here, and so he's going to be serving on our safety team and other areas. Doug Meyerdirk and Pat, his wife Patty, uh, yep, there they are. So, uh, Doug, uh, I just really appreciate your passion for evangelism and discipleship, as well as Patty, men's ministry, women's ministry. Thank you for all that you do. Curtis, Curtis Morgan, is he here? Yep, Curtis and his wife Shelly, he has served for 16 years, and they serve in our Koinonia Sunday morning group. He's our deacon working with our missions group, so Curtis, thank you. Uh, David Poling down here on the end, David and Melissa. Uh, community group, um, served for seven years, helps with uh, uh, people in need, uh, Melissa with our Connect team, so thank you for that. And uh, Scott and Cindy Razor right here, we, we were again trying to remember, we know it's over 20 years, maybe 23 years of service, um, yeah, and uh, I know we can always count on you, Scott, when we have a funeral, we have some, something in need, uh, Scott is there and serving alongside his wife, uh, Cindy, and marriage ministry in other ways. Thomas Ratliff, where are you there? Thomas and Glenna um, served for five years in a lot of the areas I've already mentioned, community group, marriage ministry, a lot of behind-the-scenes things, uh, men's ministry. Heath uh, and Sandy Shannon, Heath, there's Heath, did, did you... Do we know who? Yeah, there he is, Heath. And um, 10 years of service. Um, whenever we have an event like a church picnic, Heath has done a great job of heading that up and being here when we have funerals and just all around serving. Um, Andy, Sherrod, and Carol. Uh, uh, as we uh, talk with the deacons and God raises them up, we say, well, where's your heart? Where would you love to serve? And Andy um, really has a passion for serving our seniors here at Grace, our owls, our, our widows and widows ministry. Thank you, Andy, for all you do there. Fujie Joe uh, and his wife, Peru, um, they're not here because they're serving in our international ministry called Poema. And hold your applause here, but, but I, I really would be remiss if I didn't mention, we have a deacon emeritus, Hayes Ross, Hayes and Marcia, Decades. We're not even sure how long they served, but uh, they're actually now in the Caleb Sunday morning group serving coffee. They have a coffee ministry, so he continues to serve. And so, can we just give it up for these folks and show our appreciation to them? Andy Rettmeyer's also been a deacon. He's an elder now in our church, and he's going to pray over them. Um, I'd, I'd like it to, for all of us to lay hands on all the uh, deacons and their wives. But in lieu of that, if you guys could stand up and we extend our arm and we'll pray for them. 
Oh, Father, thank you so much for these men and their years of service here at Grace Bible Church. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for, as Brad mentioned, just all the ways that they serve, Lord, in, in just every facet of this church. And we thank you for their dedication and their loyalty and their, their heart for this church and for the ministry of this church. Father, I, I ask your hand of protection and guidance on them. Um, just on them and their families. I ask your blessing on them. And Father, I also ask that you just lead and guide them, encourage them um, as they go forth and, and each day ahead. And we pray all these things, and we thank you so much for them. them. And we pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're not there already, please turn to James chapter 1. Um, thank all of you for coming up. I really appreciate that. You know, honor to whom honor is due. As a for example, I did a funeral in here yesterday on a Saturday, and several of our deacons showed up early and stayed late and just made sure that uh, all the logistics happened on, on a Saturday, right? So took time away from um, their, their own business and stuff they may have wanted to do just to serve a family in our church who had uh, lost a loved one. So... Um, there's just a million ways that these families serve behind the scenes, and as Brad said, they didn't really want to stand up front and be recognized, but we made them, so that worked. Um, little story to start with, several years ago when our kids were pretty young, so pre, pre-teenagers, um, my wife confronted me, and she said, you know, I, I feel like you're not really listening to me, you're not really hearing me, like literally, would you go to the doctor and get your ears checked? Because I don't think you're actually, I think there's something wrong with your hearing. And so dutifully, I made an appointment with my uh, ENT doc, and I went in, and he put me with the audiologist, and I got the headphones on, and did a little beep, beep, you know, went through the whole process. And then I sat down with him, and he looked at the results, and he said, you know what, your hearing's fine. Your hearing's fine. That's, that's not the problem. He said, you know, you don't have any damage to your hearing. He said, but th- there's, a, there's a factor here that as we age, uh, we begin to have more difficulty hearing some of these uh, higher frequencies, right? We begin to have a little more difficulty, right, in certain ranges. And this just happens to be right where your wife's voice is, right, in this higher <laughs> frequency. And um, he said, also with men's brains, uh, we often have a, a difficult time filtering out background noise, also known as children, right? So when there's, there's all this chaos going on, we can't sometimes really focus in on maybe that one voice that's most important. So I went home and I explained all of this to my wife, and she was thoroughly unimpressed with the doctor and with me, and I said, okay, look, it's not an excuse, it's just an explanation, which also didn't seem to help at all, but anyway, I said, I said, but I said, also, it's an imperative. What it tells me is I need to lean in that much more to listen to your voice because what you have to say matters to me, and so I, I need to lean in, and I need to really pay attention to what it is that you're saying. The same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Right? If we don't really lean in and, and energetically listen to his voice, or if we allow all of the noise and the distractions of the world around us to drown out his voice, or even worse yet, if we just ignore his voice, it's going to 
undermine our intimacy with the Lord and disrupt our progress toward maturity because it is God's voice, God's word that is guiding us into truth that transforms our lives. And James says, if you want your life to be blessed, which you do, listen to the voice of God. If you want your life to be blessed, you have to listen to the voice of God. And we do want our lives to be blessed, don't we? We do. Do we actually know what blessing means, though? Right? That's a word that we may throw around a lot in Christian circles. It's a word that shows up throughout the Bible. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man. Right there. The beginning of the whole book of Psalms. And you see it throughout the book of Psalms. Jesus' most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed is, blessed is, blessed is. But what does it mean to be blessed? What it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean that your circumstances will always be pleasant. We've been talking about that the last couple weeks. James actually assumes that if you follow Jesus Christ, you will suffer. You will have hardship. You will have trial. You have tribulation. That's just a normal part of the Christian life. So it doesn't mean that circumstances will always be pleasant, that you will always be physically healthy, that you will always have more than enough financial uh, resources, that you won't struggle in relationships. It doesn't mean that. That's not what blessing means. What blessing means is that no matter what circumstances you are going through, God will be enough. And no matter what circumstances you are going through, God can lead you to a life that pleases him and honors him and is productive for him and fulfills his will for your life so that even if you're in a dark valley, a shadow of death, all that God has for you will be enough for a rich life, for a meaningful life, for a a significant life, for a life that's filled with joy and peace, whether circumstances are really good or circumstances are really difficult. Let me give you just one illustration of this. Uh, The the Greek island of Cyprus, early on in its history, the people used to say of themselves, we are the the Makarios island, that is the blessed island. That's the Greek word for blessing. said, we are blessed. And what they meant by that was this, uh, we don't need to leave the island. Anything that we need for a life that is rich and full and meaningful and satisfying, we've got right here on the island. The island is enough. And what James is saying is God is enough. But you have to listen to his voice. So do we want our lives to be rich and full and satisfying? Do we want God's blessing on our lives? Absolutely. So we have to listen. We have to listen. Let's read together from God's word, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. James says first, listen and you will live. Remember his audience, he assumes, is going through trials. In fact, various forms of trials, multifaceted trials. And our temptation in the midst of the trial is to get frustrated, to get angry, to lash out at the people who may be causing the trial, to get angry and frustrated and lash out at God. And he says, you need to hurry up. Hurry up and listen. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because if you erupt in anger, you can't hear the voice of God. Your anger drowns out the voice of God. And it's the voice of God that's going to lead you through the trial in wisdom so that you grow in maturity and Christ-likeness. So you've got to slow down a bit and listen for the voice of God. And don't allow your anger to erupt. Now, is there a place for righteous anger? Sure, biblically you see righteous anger, but righteous anger is 
measured anger. It's not erupting. And usually righteous anger is not reaching out and grabbing something for ourselves, but usually righteous anger is defending the needs and priorities of people around us, right? So Jesus uh, turned over tables in the temple, but you remember, according to one account, it says uh, that he took time to braid a whip. I don't know how long that takes, but it's not five seconds. So there's Jesus. He's braiding, and he's looking, and he's thinking, and he's not flying off the handle. He just knows it's time to defend the righteousness of God because house of worship is being turned into a robber's den. It's time to defend the rights of the poor who are being taken advantage of in worship. It's time to crack the whip. Right? So it wasn't this spontaneous, out-of-control eruption in his righteous anger. James is talking about this eruption of anger that makes it impossible for you to listen for the voice of God guiding you through your trials. On the other hand, he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, the key imperative, just one in this verse, is the word receive. Receive the word implanted, James says. To receive means uh, to welcome someone as an honored guest. James says, welcome God's word as an honored guest. Not as a casual acquaintance that comes in and out, but welcome God's word as an honored guest. Throw out the unwanted guests, he says, Therefore, putting aside, taking off, throwing out all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, listen to God's word, and as it convicts you of sin, confess and repent and put that away from you because that's like wax in your ears. Unrepentant sin inhibits you from actually hearing the voice of God. Take it out, put it away, throw out the unwanted guests. Instead, welcome God's word as an honored guest. Specifically, he says, uh, receive the word implanted, which is actually a phrase that's used only in James in the New Testament. Receive the word that's already been implanted. What is James talking about? What he's saying is this. Uh, the moment that you believed in Jesus Christ, your debt of sin was removed. Also, you received the gift of eternal life. You know that you will have life that lasts forever. Also, God's spirit came to dwell inside of you. And when his spirit came to dwell inside of you, he implanted God's word in you. Which doesn't mean you magically memorize the whole Bible, right? What it means is God's spirit puts inside of you a new receptivity, a hunger, a desire for his word, and an ability to understand it through his spirit, making God's will clear to you. That is a new covenant promise. So let me take you back to Jeremiah chapter 31, where God promised this to his people. He said, this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, we know based on our study of the book of Revelation last semester that the new covenant hasn't been completely fulfilled, and it won't be completely fulfilled until Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth, but we have uh, the down payment, the initiation of the new covenant. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread, he took a cup, and he said, what, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
I'm initiating the new covenant. I'm inaugurating the new covenant. What you're going to receive is the forgiveness of your sins and the indwelling Holy Spirit, which will make you receptive to my voice. You'll have a supernatural ability to understand my voice, and you'll have a supernatural desire to do what I say because I've implanted that in you. Receive the word implanted. The Apostle Paul picks up the same theme in 2 Corinthians. He says this, You are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, right? So it's no longer words etched on a stone. It's now God's word etched on your heart, giving you a new desire and ability so that you can listen and live. This is why it's important. You have to listen and live. Notice what he says again here in verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, in receptivity. Welcome as an honored guest the word that's already been implanted in you. Why? Because it is actually able to save your soul. Now, we touched on this briefly last week, but I want to pause for a moment. What does it mean when James says it's able to save your soul? We hear the word salvation and we immediately go, must be talking about forgiveness of sins and eternal life, right? Not going to hell. But salvation is actually a really broad concept in the Bible. Every time you see the word salvation, you, th- you should just kind of replace it with rescue or deliver, right? What am I being rescued from? What am I, I being delivered from? We're going to come across this again when we hit James chapter 2. In James' worldview, remember, there's not a New Testament yet. In fact, possible James is writing the first book of the New Testament James' Bible is the Old Testament. So when he hears the word soul, or he uses the word soul, what is he thinking? Well, he's not thinking like we normally think the immaterial part of man that I can't see. What he's thinking about is your life. Just you, right? So the soul is you. You are a soul. You are a person in Old Testament Hebrew terminology. So he's talking about the rescue or the deliverance of the person, and there's, there's a lot of history and Old Testament revelation that informs James' understanding, so he borrows this language. I want to take you back to the Old Testament, kind of unpack this phrase a little bit more. I'm going to take you first to the book of Ezekiel. The Lord is speaking. He says, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies because of it, for his iniquity which he has committed, he will die. So why is the man dying? He's dying as a result of his sin. It's a consequence. Physical death is a consequence of his sin. His life is being cut short. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices justice and righteousness, he will literally save his soul. What's the Lord talking about through the prophet? He's saying, generally speaking, righteousness extends your life. And unrighteousness diminishes your life not just sometimes in terms of longevity, but in terms of quality also, in terms of the richness and fulfilling nature of your relationships gets undermined by your sins. So there is life and there is death, right? So he's thinking in very tangible terms. Psalm chapter six, return, O Lord, and literally save my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness, for there is no mention of you in death, and Sheol, who will give you thanks? So notice the juxtaposition is, save my soul because I don't want to die, right? Would you extend my days upon the earth? Why? So that I can live on this earth and praise you and worship you and and declare your name to this generation. So save my soul or save my life. 
Extend my days upon the earth. From Proverbs, the one who guards his mouth saves his soul or preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You ever experienced that? Man, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh, man, now I've got to go do cleanup with that relationship. I wish I had just kept my mouth shut. I wish I had said less. I wish I had said nothing. Why? Because when I open wide my lips, sometimes it comes to ruin. Therefore, the one who guards his mouth saves his soul, right? So what is James talking about? He's talking about the salvation of your soul, meaning the longevity, duration, and richness of your life. So James, again, chapter 5, uses the same Old Testament phrase and says this. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back toward the truth of God's word, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Why does he cover a multitude of sins? Because the man is on a sinful pathway, and if you turn him away from that, He doesn't proceed on that path any longer. And you have saved his soul or you have rescued his life. Maybe extended his days on the earth because remember the end of sin is death. Or you have improved the quality of his life. He he no longer is living with the chaos that's produced by sin, whether that's verbal or our actions or our attitudes. You You have given him an opportunity for his life to be richer and fuller and more satisfying. So notice what it says in the book of Proverbs 3, if you're taking notes. This is verses 1 through 4. My child, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments, for they will provide a long and full life, and they will add well-being or blessing to you. Then you will find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and people. Your life will be blessed. Will you get 80 years instead of 70? There's no guarantee of that, but your life will be blessed. Your life will be pleasing to God, and it will fulfill God's purposes. And whether your circumstances are good or whether your circumstances are difficult in their valley, all that God gives you will be enough. And you can have a rich and full and satisfying and joyful life. The salvation of your soul, the rescue of your life, if you listen to God's voice and don't ignore God's voice or allow the distractions of the world to drown out God's voice, but you listen intently, and James will go on, you listen and you obey. Okay, listen and you will live, listen and you will obey if you want your life to be blessed. Chapter 1, verse 22, he says, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Repeated theme in the book of James, stop fooling yourself. You think you got this whole spiritual life with God figured out? Because you know a lot, but you don't apply it. You don't live it out. You're fooling yourself. Stop deluding yourself, he says. You're, you're, You're not really understanding That maturity, as Jesus would say, is one who hears my commandments and keeps them. That's the one who actually loves me, who who doesn't just know a lot, but applies a lot, right? Who executes it. So imagine this afternoon, you're driving home, 
And the words of your doctor, they're just echoing in your mind, right? You had a doctor's appointment this week, and when you went in, your doctor said, hey, I need to raise, uh, raise the flag for you. There's some warning signs. Your cholesterol's going up. Your blood pressure is rising, right? You're putting on a couple pounds, right? Things are not good. So here's what we're going to do. Here's your prescription. I need you to cut out the sugars, cut out all the bread you're eating and the rice and the pasta and the soft drinks, and I need you to get out of your chair. you got to start moving. And you look at your doctor and you remember this conversation. You know, all that you have commanded, doctor, I will do. Right? You're telling me the truth and I will obey all that you say. And you, you leave church this afternoon and you're driving home and his words are echoing in your mind and then you turn on the radio and you hear pizza, pizza. And you go, that's another voice, pizza, pizza, right? And you just take a turn and you swing by Little Caesars and you walk in and you say to the pizza man, pizza, pizza, give me two of those. And can I have some of those breadsticks? And you've got a cooler right there. I'll take two of those two liters. And the pizza man says, oh, are you having a party? And you go, no, this is for me, man. Pizza, pizza. Stop deluding yourself. You're destroying yourself. Because you're listening but not applying what you've been told. You're listening but you're not applying and obeying. On the other hand, verse 25, James says, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed and what he does. The one who looks intently means to, to, to gaze with intensity. It means to gaze longingly. When the disciples went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away, they looked inside and they gazed intently. They gazed intensely, longingly. They're looking for Jesus. Where could he be? And they're looking in every crack and crevice, but he's not here. Where can we find him? They gazed intently. James says the one who gazes intently or looks longingly at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Gaze intently, not a casual acquaintance, but you really want to know what's in here. And you, go, you come expectantly, knowing that God will speak to you out of his word. And you're fixated on the word of God. You're not just glancing and skipping like a stone over the top. When my sister and I were, were little, um, my parents bought a new toaster. We didn't have lots of money, so the toaster was a big deal. They put the toaster in the middle of our kitchen table. That just made it really convenient. If they put it there, we just pop the toaster in, pops up, hand it to the kids, and we could eat, right? So we're just little kids. The toaster's right in the middle. But what happened is they, they bought this super shiny chrome toaster, and my sister was absolutely fascinated with herself. And so she would just sit in her high chair and stare into the toaster you know, and make faces and cross her eyes and just look at her and study her face. She wanted to know her face, right? And she stopped eating, and they realized if we don't move the toaster, our daughter will die. So <laughs> we've got to remove the toaster because she's gazing intently. She won't let it out of her sight. This is what James is talking about. Do you love for and do you long for God's word? Are you gazing intently? Are you gazing expectantly? Are you thinking, I'm going to find something here because God wants to speak to me out of his word? James says the one who gazes intently at the perfect law, the same phrase as he used in chapter 1, verse 4, the teleos law, the perfect law, the law which creates liberty or freedom. Right? Not the law that's oppressive, but the law that it creates, creates freedom. What he means 
by this is the law as Jesus understood it and Jesus interpreted it and Jesus applied it, not the way that the Pharisees used it. So remember, James is saturated with a book of Proverbs. It's saturated with the teachings of Jesus, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. So I want you to hold your place in James 1 and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, I'm going I'm to reinterpret this for you. I'm not going to overturn it, but I'm going to tell you how you should understand God's law and God's word. Verse 28, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Verse 31. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, verse 33, again, you've heard the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say to you. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be teleos, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus completely reinterprets the law, and he says it's not about external conformity to a standard, just checking through the rules, but it's a transformation of your heart. That's what God actually desires. That's what God intended through the law. And you know what? You can't make that transformation happen. You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When they heard this sermon, they were fascinated, it says, because he taught them actually with authority, not as their scribes and Pharisees, but it also drove them to their knees and they realized, you know, what he's calling for actually far surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees because it's not just external obedience. It's the transformation of my heart, my mind, my attitude. What Jesus tells them is, I promise I will do that for you and through you. So Jesus is going to call them not to work harder, but to be more humble and dependent on the power of God's spirit, new covenant, to transform them. Turn to chapter 11, Matthew, and verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why were they weary and heavy laden? Because the list of rules that the Pharisees had given them was just endless, and they just couldn't keep up, and it was oppressive, and it was exhausted. And all that they felt from their spiritual leaders is if they could never measure up to what God had for them. They were weary and heavy laden. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you 
rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the yoke that he's referring to there in the Pharisees' terminology was the law, right? The Pharisees talked about the law as a yoke. And Jesus says, you know what? The yoke that you've been under is a burden that's oppressive and crushing you, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me and let me live through my spirit, my power through you. New covenant. I will give you a new heart, a fresh heart. You'll have a new desire and a new ability to say yes. To say yes to all that I've commanded you to do. Turn back to James chapter 1, verse 25. But the one who gazes intently at the perfect, complete law, that is the law that brings freedom, the law that Jesus has given to you, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Or as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, for the law or the principle of the spirit that gives life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So the solution to move forward for a blessed life is not to try harder and not to make a better list, but to be more actively dependent upon the power of God's spirit through his word speaking to you. Come expectantly, come longingly to his word, knowing that God will guide you when your circumstances are pleasant, when your circumstances are difficult, and his guidance will transform your life. Your life will be blessed. Third, James says, listen and love. Listen and love. Act out your faith in love for others. Verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet not, does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Right? There we are, back on that theme. You think you've got it figured out? You're just deceiving yourself. If you think you've, you've nailed what it means to be a mature Christian, and yet every time you go through a difficult trial, ah, anger erupts. What does that represent? That represents a lack of trust that God's got you, that he sees you and that he knows you and that he's going to guide you through this trial in a way that gives glory to him and does good for others, right? You, you, you think yourself to be religious, and yet you don't bridle your tongue. He's not just talking generally about speech. He's talking about that, that when we are going through a trial, we want to reach out and grab justice for ourselves, and we want to fix all, everything for ourselves, and we're angry and we're frustrated with the people around us, and we're angry and frustrated with God because we don't trust that God has allowed this trial to produce maturity in us. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religious religion is worthless. He just doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. On the other hand, verse 27 Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Did you see a flow of thought? You're, you're going through a trial and your temptation is just anger and frustration and you want to lash out. It may just be your attitude or it may be your speech. On the other hand, if you're listening to the voice of God and you're slow to speak and you're not listening to the chatter in the world around you, but just God's voice and he's guiding you through that trial, then you realize God's got good in this for me. 
my life is blessed. My circumstances are not pleasant, but my life is blessed. All that God has given me, even in this moment of trial, is enough. I don't need to leave the island. I don't need anything more or other than what God has provided for me, even in the midst of this trial. My life is blessed. My life can be full and rich and satisfying and filled with joy and peace, even in the midst of the trial. I am blessed, right? I am self-contained. I don't need to leave the island. I don't need more than what God has given me. I'm in the middle of the trial, but God is enough for me. As a result, if I'm blessed, then I've got enough to overflow into the lives of others. So rather than erupting in anger and turning inward with my own emotions, I actually have enough to turn outward. And as I look around me, I see those around me who can't provide for themselves and they can't protect themselves and they can't pay me back. The widows and the orphans, that's why he picks these groups. The widows and the orphans, the orphans are on the street and they have no family. They have to steal to survive. They have no one to protect them, no one to provide for them. They have nothing they can give back to me. The widows are those who have no family to provide for them. There are very few jobs that they can do. They can't protect themselves. They can't provide for themselves. They can't pay me back. But it's okay, because I'm overflowing. All that God has given me is more than enough. So pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And what he means by visit is not you, you stop by and go, hey, how's it going in there? Right? That's, so to visit is actually a word that's used Old Testament and New Testament of God visiting his people to deliver them. Right? God visited Israel when they were in Egypt in slavery and he rescued them. Right? He did good for them. That's what it means to visit. Uh, Jesus visited his people to provide salvation from their sins and the hope of eternal life. Visitation isn't, hey, how's it going in there? No, it's, it's to, to go into somebody's life to help rescue them when they can't deliver themselves, when they can't rescue themselves, when they can't provide for themselves, when they can't pay you back. That's why these categories of people are chosen. This is pure and undefiled religion. This shows that God is producing maturity in you when you're walking through a trial and you're not turning inward. You actually have the capacity to turn outward because all that God has given you is more than enough. You have overflow. Even when it looks like your life is in deficit because of your trials, you have more than enough to provide. That reflects the heart of God. That shows that God's character is being formed inside of you. It says in Psalm chapter 68, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. This is what God cares about. And so throughout the prophets, one of the ways that each generation was evaluated in the depth of their relationship with God is how did they care for those who couldn't care for themselves around them? And that demonstrates that you're listening and saying yes to all that God says to you through his word. Now, how do we play, apply this? I've got just um, a couple of thoughts for you. I'm going to read first, though, First uh, Peter chapter 2. This is from New Living Translation. I love how it's translated, uh, this particular verse, two verses It says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. How do newborn babies long for milk? 
Well, for those of you who are parents, you know, that's all they think about, right? That's all they think about. All they do, eat, sleep, and poop. That's all they do, right? That's all a newborn baby does. And what do they dream about? You go in, you, your baby's in the crib. What are they doing? They're dreaming and thinking about milk, right? When am I going to get more milk? When am I going to get more milk? That's all they think about. Peter's pulling on that, that just really vivid metaphor, and he says, like newborn babies, you must crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. Why? So that you can grow into a full experience of your salvation. God wrote, gave you this letter as, as a letter of love to guide your life and make your life blessed and rich. And what my challenge to you this week is just open the word with a, a fresh attitude. Right? Open the word with a new perspective. When you open it this week, expect that God wants to speak to you. Expect that he will speak to you. Ask him to give you a heart and a mind to see what it is he has to say to you. And before he even speaks, say, Lord, all that you say, I will do. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Whatever it is, I believe that your path for my life is best. Listen to God's word expectantly this week. Second, apply God's word courageously. Okay, specifically in this context, we're going to actually hit it again when we hit chapter two, but uh, look for those around you who have a need that they, they can't meet, they can't fulfill, they can't pay you back. Uh, if you want to learn how to serve uh, at Grace Bible Church or through Grace Bible Church, we have community partners. We partner with SOS Ministries. We partner with Still Creek Ranch. Uh, we can help get you plugged in there. We have opportunities to serve uh, the needy through Grace Bible Church, we have a thing called Toolbox, where uh, some of our deacons and members go out and they serve our members who um, have physical needs and financial needs, and you can serve here on a Sunday morning, you can serve throughout the week, get on our website, download the I want to serve, and fill out that form and send it in, there's a million ways that you can do that, uh, I would encourage you to do that, but I would encourage you also just to uh, quickly, this week, think about uh, a friend or a roommate or a family member that you can secretly serve, expecting nothing in return, just to get that habit of secret service going, right? So think about something that a roommate needs done, and just do it with joy, because that reflects the heart of God. Maybe a friend has a need that you can meet, just, just do it, right, in obedience, reflecting the heart of God. For those who cannot meet all their own needs or protect themselves or guard themselves, you know, just, just look around you, or a neighbor, just do something for that neighbor or a family member. Just do it, right? Just in obedience, do it. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me, Jesus said, will be loved by, by my father. And I, I will actually disclose myself to him. That is, he will have a deeper intimacy with me because he has said yes to what I've called him to. So simple application. Look longingly, gaze longingly, expectantly into God's word and with an attitude that all that God says you will do. And then just find one person to serve this week. Just get the flywheel going on secret, hidden service for others. Now, before we close, we are going to celebrate communion. This morning, I felt like communion was a really perfect way to close our service because uh, it's the ultimate illustration of a man who listened to his father's voice and he said yes to his father's voice. Uh, and he chose to sacrificially serve people who couldn't care for themselves, couldn't protect themselves, couldn't provide what they most needed, which was forgiveness 
of sins. And so Jesus stepped into that space with us and sacrificially served us in a way that we couldn't serve ourselves. So 